How's everybody doing? How's the time change treating you? Horribly? Amen. Whose alarm clock went off this morning? You're like, you're a liar. You sit on a throne of lies. Seven o'clock came around this morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, why does it feel so bad? But we're here, right? Yeah. This morning, I want to talk about the reason for our faith. You know, we've been looking at firm foundation. Um, this is the message. If I could go back, like back to the future in a time machine and talk to my 16 year old self 29 long years ago, this would be what I would like grab my shoulders and, and say to myself. And then he would grab me back and say, You're wearing New Balance shoes now? Like, like, what happened, you old man? Lay off the donuts a little bit. Gosh. But at least you still got your blonde locks. So this is the, the confidence that we have in the, in the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Like when I was a youth minister for years, like I, I found great joy in helping other teens believe, like come to a solid faith in Christ and in God's existence and making those cases for them. So this is near and dear to my heart that I can do the same. So I'm asking for y'all to be 16 years old for the next 25 minutes. If you can do that, that would be great. So this is for believers. This is for skeptics. This is for believers that are dealing with skepticism. So where, wherever you are on that spectrum of, I am completely on board with what you're saying or you're out of your gourd, you know, you're, you're crazy. So wherever you are, this is for you. All right, it's my aim. I'm going to make a two-part case for you based on something that a guy named Braxton Hunter said. He's an apologist. So you may be saying, well, Dustin, what does this matter to us? We're Christians. You're in a church full of believers. But there are people in here that may not be uh, believers. They may be doubting. They may be Christians that are struggling with that. So let's go to um, 1 Peter 3.15 and, and just jump in here. I'm... I'm I, the foot's on the gas because we have such a short amount of time and it's such a huge topic that like it's just enough to open the knife to scratch the surface. You know what I mean? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 1 Peter 3.15 We're supposed to be ready. Christians, we are supposed to be prepared to give a defense to give an answer, to give reason for our hope. How many of you could confidently say, I could very, very effectively give a defense for my faith? Maybe we're struggling there. Well, good, this is for you, okay? See, we all have experiences. Everybody deals with life. We all have experiences with the supernatural. We all have experiences with things that we can't explain. Paul's experience was he got knocked off a horse. He was blinded. He was, you know, had an encounter with Jesus. But I can't be saved by the experience of Paul. And you can't be saved by the experiences I've had with God. Okay? Experiences are personal, but they're also subjective. Okay? We don't want our preaching to be in the strength of experiences. We want it to be in the strength of the evidence God has given us for his existence and for the resurrection of Jesus. Because lots of religions make claims. And lots of people have experiences. We don't want to go by that. We want to go by what, is, what does the evidence point to? Okay? Because no one would accept my experiences. I, I would, I'd hope they'd want some evidence like I would want evidence. 
Braxton Hunter said this, and this is what I'm going to base all this on. If God exists, and if God raised Jesus from the dead, then Christianity is true, period. Doesn't matter your, your, your opinions on the different doctrines. Doesn't matter your opinion on the history of Christianity. If these two things are true, then Christianity is true. And that is, that's my, my assertion, is Christianity is true. It is the most logical, it is the most reasonable worldview that explains our existence, it explains the empty tomb, it explains all of us being here in this room, is that Christianity is not just an opinion, it is the truth. Okay? So my point number one is that God exists. In Genesis 1-1 it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did it. God did that. John 1-1-3 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. So my first point is that, logically, God must exist or nothing else would. Okay? The universe consists of all matter, space, particles, energy, time, you, the earth, the chair you're sitting in, it's, it's the whole thing. But it cannot logically create itself. And that's where skeptics run into a huge roadblock, it's because they want to be logical, they want to be thoughtful, they want to be intellectual, but to say that something created itself is illogical. To say that something has always existed that's natural is also illogical. We're going to look at those two things here. But there's this argument called the Kalam cosmological argument. My first point in this is that God is our uncaused cause. He is the first cause. He's uncreated. He never began to exist. We began to exist. The chair you're sitting in began to exist. The earth began to exist. Time began to exist. But the Bible says that God is from everlasting, this is the past, to everlasting. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. We all have beginnings. Now, we'll live forever with him, eternally in heaven and on the earth. Okay, That's, a, that's an eternity that has a beginning, though, if that makes sense. God doesn't have a beginning. He has no end. So he's on a whole different level of existence than we are. And he is in that position to create and cause like we could not. Okay? He's infinitely eternal where we and all of creation have a beginning. But the Kalam cosmological argument says two premises and a conclusion. So premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. Conclusion, therefore the universe has a cause. It did not cause itself. That's an illogical. The universe defined being time, space, matter, energy, everything in between, and the laws that govern them all. Okay? Let's start with time. Time must have a beginning. Time must have a beginning because if time did not have a beginning, we could not be here today. There would be no such thing as today if it was an infinitely long past. But logically, that doesn't make sense because you can't jump out of a hole that has no bottom. You can't open a book to a certain page and flip back to the first page to start reading the rest of the story that you missed if there is no first page. Does that make sense, everybody, on, 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 on that page? <laughs> right? Time must have a beginning. You can't have an infinite natural past or you never get to today. 
Okay, this is why when you talk about you know Back to the Future, time travel I believe is true going forward. If you were to make, make you know, amp, a DeLorean wouldn't do it. You'd have to get to the speed of light. <laughs> I know it's all fantasy, but if you could get to the speed of light and travel out 40 years and come back 40 years, 80 years would have passed on Earth, but it would have been a, a you know momentary for you. So we all look older, but you look the same. So time travel into the future, I believe, is possible. Time travel into the past is not because you can't have effects happening before causes. It's the cause and the effect, and that's just how time works. Logically. Time moves forward because causes precede effects, and we're looking for, this is all in the effort to find the profile of the first cause. Okay? Number two, space. Space is expanding. Astronomers believe that. You know, if you go outside and you look at the, the stars, if you, if you map, if you could roll back the clock 2,000 years ago, you would see that stars have moved further out from where they used to be, okay? One of my favorite constellations is Orion. And on the belt, is, is if you look at those, the, the outline of those three stars, that is where the pyramids are. They, they line that up. They're, they're the same, you know, the, the little offness of the one. I think it's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse, whatever. Okay? Those are moving apart. They've, they've, they've shown that they are spreading apart. Because if you go up in the sky, there's not this like picture of Orion. You know, they're all in like one little section right there. Like they're, they're further distances apart, but they're all stretching, okay? Space is expanding from something. All that space and matter supposedly were condensed due to a single clump and exploded from there. They, scientists call that the Big Bang. But without a banger, you don't have the bang. And God is a banger. He is the first. <laughs> Lastly, matter. All that exists, which is waves and particles and energy and elements and compounds, earth, everything material, you can't create itself. Scientists would like to say they can't. I've got an experiment we're going to read about here, but uh, they said they created something from nothing, which was hilarious because when you boil it all down, they had a whole lot of somethings that constituted nothing that they created something from. But you can't matter in space, or you can't matter without space, because if you had matter, but you didn't have space, where would it exist? So you have to have matter and space together. If you can't, you can't have matter in space without time, because if you had matter in space, but no time, when would it exist? It, it wouldn't exist. There wouldn't be a way. Okay? They all have the three come into existence simultaneously and not by their own efforts. They logically can't create themselves, so therefore we know that whatever did create them, our first cause, our prime mover, our uncaused cause, is without material, he's, he's immaterial, or it is immaterial. It's without space, it's non-spatial, it's non-temporal, it's not within the, the limits of time, okay? It's sufficiently powerful to do all of this because our universe is gigantic and full of power. I got sunburned the other day in a, on a March day from the sun. God did that. I don't blame him. I'm just saying, like, that sun is extremely powerful. And God lit that match. Like, I, I couldn't do that. Okay? So, whatever did this was extremely powerful and had an intellect to plan all these things out. All these laws and how things work together. And in our universe, work perfectly together. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Okay? So, therefore, he's got a mind. He planned it, he has a mind, because mindless things don't plan things. And this is all ordered, okay? Now that alone doesn't get us to the God of the Bible, but it rules out so many other things 
that skeptics would say, well, you know, you don't need God for that. Well, you, you do. You do. The story about creating something for nothing is called the Schwinger effect. Some of you guys, you know. You 90s kids know what I'm talking about. Scientists accepted to make something from nothing. They had this experiment where they were like, okay, so we're going to measure gravity. We're going to make these two plates, and they're going to have this gravity between them that's supposed to be constant. But we're going to do something, and we're going to observe and watch the gravity increase. Now, gravity increases because matter is present. You have gravity to you. Some of us have more gravity than others. But gra everything has gravity to it, okay? And the scientists have got their, their plates together. They've got their experiment running. They've got the time limit going. And they notice an increase in gravity. And they're like, we created something from nothing. There was nothing in between these two, and now there's more gravity present than there should be. We have created something from nothing. Which is hilarious, because it took a mind to plan that experiment. It took the plates to, to measure it. It took the space and the time for that experiment to happen. So they, it took a whole lot of somethings to create something from nothing. That's not what God did. That puts him <coughs> apart from everybody else. Okay. It's the same joke as, as the scientists that challenged God to a man-making competition. You guys heard this joke? Some of you? Maybe? Hey, who's heard the, nobody in like the last service heard the joke. Anybody heard the Thank you. Okay, so scientists are like, God, we don't need you anymore, which is hilarious because now they're, you know, claiming that there's a God. So we don't need you anymore. We don't need you to explain how everything happened. We're going to make man, like, like, without you. We don't need you to do it. And God says, okay, all right, well, I'm in. Let's do this. So they get together, and God reaches down, and he scoops up the dirt, makes a little man, blows into him, and he pops alive. There you go. I made man. Scientists reach down and grabs the dirt, and God slaps his hand and knocks the dirt out and says, get your own dirt. <laughs> That's mine. Carl Sagan said, if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Establishing this first point is key because if a person is so close-minded to the idea of the supernatural, the above the natural, that they won't consider the existence of God, they will absolutely not consider the resurrection of Jesus because people don't rise from the dead naturally. They don't. It takes a supernatural work to raise somebody from the dead. But if you have closed your mind off and said, well, it doesn't matter what evidence you bring to the resurrection of Jesus, historically or whatever, I'm not going to believe it because that doesn't happen in real life. You get over that by, by showing them there is a supernatural because God exists. He is above the natural. Right on? My second point. Thank you. My second point is that God raised Jesus from the dead. So his life, his death, his resurrection is the only event in human history that split time. That's why we have B.C. and A.D. Scientists would like to change that to B.C.E. and C.E. because they don't want to give God any glory. So we can't even call it before Christ and Anno Domini. Can't do that anymore. We've got to have B.C.E. and C.E. Let's cut God out. But they still count it back from the same date. It's like, oh, okay, well, you change the name, but the idea stays the same. Like, really? That's semantics now. Like, really? He is the only person that has ever split time. The, the importance of his life 
and his death and his resurrection have split our history like no one's ever has or will. Think, try to think of anybody else in human history that we could point to and say, well, life was this much different before and this much different after. And it doesn't even come close to the, the political, to the spiritual, to the historical, to the cultural importance that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection had on human history. Doesn't even come close. Nobody's comes even anywhere near close to his. Okay? It's a fact that there was a man named Yeshua, we call him Jesus, born just over 2,000 years ago in Israel. It is a fact that he was a great teacher with many followers. It is a fact that he was crucified and buried. He is the most important human in history. And the linchpin of our faith is that Jesus raised from the dead after his crucifixion. 1 First, First Corinthians 15, 12-19 says, Now Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Jesus. Whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're gone. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. This Jesus thing only works while you're alive. It's a placebo. It's a fake. Once you die, it's all over. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, if there's no resurrection, it's all for nothing. You're here, and you're gone, and then you're really gone. You were, you were, you were just here for a moment. History will just keep on moving, and you will never exist again. You've perished. That's the linchpin of our faith. That's what sets us apart from every other worldview, every other religion out there, is that our God raised from the dead. Lee Strobel was an atheist investigative journalist who took his best shot at disproving Christianity and ended up following the evidence to faith in Christ. He wrote the classic book, The Case for Christ. Another guy, Jane Warner Wallace, was an atheist homicide detective who also took his best shot at disproving Christianity and ended up following the evidence to faith in Christ. He wrote the excellent books, God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith, Cold Case Christianity, and Person of Interest. Highly recommend getting these books. They are awesome. They're not expensive. Well, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ is not really expensive at all. The other four by Jerry Warner Wallace are worth the investment, okay? This from Jerry Warner Wallace's Cold Case Christianity. If you can't buy the, the, the book, the app, Cold Case Christianity is free, and it's got the whole thing in it, okay? Oppositions from the skeptics is, number one, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. They say Jesus was, was crucified, he was crucified, but he, he didn't really die. They took him off the cross and he was almost dead. 
That's why they put him in the grave, and, and when they rolled the stone away, he was able to you know, limp on out. Our faith isn't based on a limping savior. It's based, I mean, what's, what's, what's awesome about that? I come off of a long hike, I'm limping. Like, there's nothing impressive. Maybe that I didn't die on the hike, but... There's nothing impressive about a, a limping savior. No, he has to be dead for it to matter. And so skeptics will first take a swing at, well, he didn't really die on the cross. You know, Roman guards would, would be crucified themselves. They would kill them themselves if the people they were crucifying didn't die. It has to work. It's a punishment. It'd be like going to the, 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 the electric chair and then pulling in the switch and, and your hair stands up. They're like, well, we tried. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you get out, right? So many first century and second century unfriendly Roman and Jewish sources all affirm and acknowledge that Jesus was crucified and died. They're, that's not even disputable. These are historians that are, are against Christianity and saying, yep, the guy died. Okay? Next one. The disciples lied about the resurrection. They just made it up. He didn't really die, or he didn't really raise from the dead. He did die. We're not saying he didn't die, but, but he didn't really raise. Now, the Jewish leaders, says here, took many precautions, you can read it up there, to make sure the tomb was guarded and sealed, knowing that the removal of the body would allow the disciples to claim that Jesus had risen. If we can just get to Jesus' body and get him out of there, then we can be like, well, yeah, he, he rose from the dead, sure. Don't look in the back of the cart, but yeah, he, he rose from the dead. They say the disciples lied about the, the resurrection. The problem with this is that it doesn't account for the disciples' transformation. That they went from whimpering cowards that ran away to bold proclaimers of the gospel, of Jesus' resurrection. The people around would have known if they had lied. They would have known that they made this up. This is, this is back then, in their time, these the same historians would have known if they made this up. They would have called them on it. Okay? How could the lies that they told themselves transform them into courageous evangelists? You may die for the lies that you believe someone else told. But you won't die for the lies that you tell yourself. Yeah, Jesus raised from the dead. Okay, we're going to crucify you too. I was kidding. Last in judgment. I'm so sorry. Let me, let me walk. Can I walk it back? Pontius? Okay, yeah, yeah. He didn't raise from the dead. We just made that up. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in real life. Okay, understand these words here, these aren't mine. These are J. Warner Wallace's. This is a guy that is a criminal investigator of homicides who is going to actively prove Christianity wrong and is examining the, the testimony of historians and these witnesses and these are the conclusions that he comes up with. This isn't Dustin talking. I'm not a, a criminal investigator. Okay? This is a guy who was trying to prove this wrong and ended up believing it. Also, the, the disciples lacked a motive to lie. What would be the reason for lying? They weren't trying to build a kingdom for themselves. None of these guys got rich off of it. There weren't, there weren't first century televangelists out there like, send me your money and I'll send you a sliver of the cross. We'll pray over you with this special... 
<laughs> I didn't do that in first service, so I'll just, we'll just move on. My wife wanted to make sure I didn't have any like, like uh, mic drop moments this this sermon. And I promised her I wouldn't, so you're welcome, dear. <laughs> Next one. This is not on here. It's a missing slide. I forgot to add it. Well, actually, I, I kind of kind of forgot to, but it's also handy because we don't have a lot of time. Like I said, we've got 25 minutes. But this was that the disciples hallucinated the resurrection. They, they, they hallucinated. So let, let's get this straight. So 500 plus people at different time periods after he raised from the dead all had this mass group hallucination and they all came to the same conclusion that they saw Jesus walking around and then lifting up into the sky before them. And they, they died for those hallucinations. That's what we're saying? The skeptics would be like, yep, that's, that's what we're saying. That, that has never happened in the history of humanity that that many people had a, a mass hallucination and all believed they saw the same thing. It doesn't happen. It's not logical. We're talking about what is reasonable. What is the reasonable explanation for an empty tomb and a missing body? Again, if you're a skeptic and you rule out supernatural events, then you say, well, of course, it doesn't matter what you say. That stuff doesn't happen. But if you're reasonable, you'll look at this evidence and say, okay, I can understand where you're coming from. That makes sense. Next one. The disciples were influenced by limited spiritual sightings. Say it only happened to a couple people. Only a few people saw it. Like, kind of like Joseph Smith and the, and the Mormon tablets. Anybody familiar with that story? He says he saw the tablets and he was given some glasses or whatever and he could read it and translate it. But we don't know where the tablets are. We don't know where the glasses are. And it was really just limited to like him. Sure, I'll... Right, we'll buy that. Right, right. That's not what happened here. This was lots of people had interactions with Jesus and, and told about what they saw. Okay, they had details that could be traced. You, when you read your Bible and you start getting into these lists of names and lists of places and, and lists, you know, events that happened, do you guys know? Archaeology has never proven anything in the Bible as incorrect, has not once, in all their efforts to prove our, our, our scriptures wrong, they've never once been able to do it. I think it's important that God put all that stuff in there because it proves this is true. You can go back and do the work and find it. It may be buried under some sand or some dirt, but it's all there. Okay? Okay. That explanation of saying that they were they limited they had limited sightings also fails to account for the empty tomb or the missing body. Next one is the disciples' observations were distorted later. They just added it. They changed it later on. Okay, they got together and they're like, "Yeah, he died. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. That was it." But then later they're like, "Okay, no, wait a second. We got to do some like Jesus fan fiction, and we're gonna write. Well, he actually actually he rose from the dead." And we all saw it. Okay? But they did it like years later. No, it was from the very beginning they were saying Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. And he rose. It wasn't some later fan fiction tacked onto the story, as some skeptics would say. This was from the beginning. So much so from the beginning that Paul mentions it in one of the earliest creeds in 1 Corinthians 15. It includes the resurrection as a key component. 
It wasn't tacked on later, it was from the very beginning. Even if it was tacked on, if, this, if they were saying this, this explanation also fails to account for the fact that the tomb and the body of Jesus have not been exposed to demonstrate that this late legend was false. If it was tacked on, the historians would have found the body. They would have, or if he didn't die, they would have found him living in like Rome or Greece somewhere, like on, on the shore or on the beach. Old, old Jesus, like 70 years old, with a fishing boat. And they're like, hey, you're that guy they crucified that didn't die. They buried you, but you didn't stay in the tomb because you weren't really dead. You didn't really raise from the dead. You were never dead in the first place. That didn't happen. Our response to the skeptics is that the disciples were telling the truth. That is the most reasonable explanation of an empty tomb and a missing body. We're asking folks to be reasonable. They're going to want proof beyond a shadow of a doubt. We want, we want all the proof that you can give and we're going to reject all of it, but give us more proof. That, that doesn't work in, in, in testimonies in court. It's, it's proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what we're asking folks to be. That's what we're asking of ourselves. God asks of us to be reasonable. Look at the evidence and be reasonable. This explanation only has one liability. It requires a belief in the supernatural, which is why the first point is so key. A belief that Jesus had supernatural power to rise from the dead in the first place. The testimony of all men and women who preached and died for their faith in Jesus, in my opinion, is unassailable. You can't, you can't attack it effectively. Men will die for the lies of others. They will not die for the lies they them, and themselves invent. The resurrection of Jesus points as proof to us and to the world for the love of God. We're coming up on Easter. The resurrection is this beacon that God loves his creation. Amen? Amen. Those that have lived in, in lawbreakers and rebellion and have, have, have done damage to each other and have cursed God, God is saying, I love you. Why well, I sent my son. That's why he was crucified was for your sins. That's why I raised him from the dead with my mighty power. It's because I love you. And I don't want to give up on my creation. Let's pray. Father, you alone are, are God and creator, infinitely powerful and wise, infinitely good and full of justice and mercy. Thank you for leaving us strong evidence of your work in creation and redemption. May the foundation of our faith be built upon reason and truth so that it would be unshakable. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.